the Generation Church Podcast. We hope you find this encouraging. Come visit us in South Oceanside. Find more about us at southofchurch.com. Pretty full house today. I think we should take an offering. It's a good day for one of those. Jeez. Uh, no pressure. To... Uh, well, I, I hope to be not, not too long here. Um, I know that we're all sweating, but hey, people pay for hot yoga and sweat lodges, and this is free. So you're welcome. We're just going to enjoy it while we have it. Uh, man, so quickly, right off the bat, showing up a generation, it was so obvious to me, like, this is a special church. This is a special church. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of healing. I've heard stories of people who've just been burned out from church, from religion, and they show up to generation and they're able to find healing. It's a place where I just, I just sense that people are able to be real. It's, it's, it's just baked into the cake here, and that is special. It's a, it's a really special thing, and I, it, to me, it makes sense that that's happening because generation is a place that's making much of Jesus and the gospel of grace. And what grace does, it produces that kind of environment. When you make much of Jesus and all that he has done, and you hear that week after week after week after week, it will produce, it will create a culture of freedom. It's downstream from, from, from the gospel being proclaimed. It will create freedom. It will create a culture of freedom it, it creates environments where we don't, have to act, we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend. You see, when you're soaked and when you're saturated in the message of, what, of, of grace, you kind of eventually realize, like, this whole thing that we call church and we call Christianity, I mean, this whole thing is not even about me and my unfinished and imperfect performance. It's about Jesus and his finished and perfect performance for me. And when that begins to sink in, you can breathe. You can relax. And that's what I sense is happening here. You know those days where you go to the, you know, the, the pool day or the beach day, and it's been a while you know, since you've taken the shirt off, guys. And it's like, you know, like the, the pool day, and it's just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to pull that in a little bit. All right. Beach day. Oh, hey, yeah. How's it going over there? Yeah. Uh, this is great. I'll dig a hole with your little, okay. Oh. Yeah. You just spend all that time sucking it in. Maybe I'm alone. Okay. It's, it, there, you just feel that pressure. And then you finally get home and you're able to just be like, I can breathe. I can breathe. I can. And I feel like that's what grace does. It allows us to breathe. It allows us to live our life. We don't have to live our life trying to suck it in metaphorically. We don't have to try to, to keep our appearances and pretend and posture. Grace allows us to relax. It allows us to breathe. 
And friends, that is, that's, that's the vibe that I get. I mean, you walk in, you get to know the Generation family, the, the, the elders, Tim, Allison. I mean, just, you, I just sense it. And that is so exciting to me. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. From the first moment that we sat down with the elders to, uh, again, all the Sundays that we visited here with you, uh, each time it's just been a reminder, this is a place of freedom. And so excited to be here. So, I, <laughs> we love Tim and Allison, the staff, the elders are amazing, you, the congregation, is uh, such a family, but I would say the number one most compelling reason that we wanted to come and be a part of this was that the generation is a place where the gospel is proclaimed. Amen. The, and don't take that for granted, by the way. Don't take that for granted. This is a place where the gospel is pro- proclaimed. It's not just assumed like, yeah, we got that. We, we've heard that before. We, no, it's, you get the, the sense that, man, these people really do believe that Jesus is enough, that the, power, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You get that. They believe this. And that is, to me, something I want to be a part of. And after all, I was thinking about this. The, the gospel really is the one thing that we are even called and qualified to proclaim. I think, uh, where did Tim go? Is he still in the room? Oh, hi, Tim. I, I'm going to speak for the both of us, but I, I would say this would be, it would be a compliment. This would be a compliment for Tim and I for you to come up after a Sunday and say, man, it seems like you guys say the same thing every week. <laughs> What's happening? Like, is it, I think that would be a compliment because I remember hearing this, this phrase and it just stuck with me that the role of a preacher is not to say a thousand different things. The role of a preacher is to say one thing a thousand different ways. Yeah. And that, that's what we're doing. Like, the gospel is that one thing. That one thing. We don't graduate from grace, as they say. We never outgrow our need to hear of the good news of God's radical grace. And I want to spend the rest of my life excavating the glorious realities of the gospel for all of life. And I'm so excited that we get to do that here together. Okay, so give you guys a little bit of a context about me, okay, just, you know, you're going to hear my story, you know, over, over time, but a little bit about me is that one thing is that I'm, I'm the second, so I'm one of six kids, I'm the second um, oldest, which, I, which means I, um, I developed some survival skills. Um, Paige always wonders, like, how do you, why do you eat so fast? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you have to survive, you have to eat the food as fast as you can if you want seconds around this table of all these, these monsters that are trying to eat all your food. So I, I, d- I developed a survival skill that way. Uh, and some other things. You know, I got some other skills there. I uh, uh, was a military kid. Dad was in the Air Force, uh, which I, the Navy and my Navy and uh, Marine friends say it's the Chair Force. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I'll say Dad, Dad's chair was in a cockpit most, most of those years, so that's pretty cool. Um, boom. Um, no, another thing is that I grew up super churched. I am a, I'm a super churched kid. I'm, a, I'm the product of growing up in church as far back as I can remember. I mean, since I was a fetus, I was, I was in, a, in a church. I'm talking Awanas. I'm talking Sunday school attendance awards. You know, I, I, got, I, I got records. Uh, played in all like the worship bands and all of that stuff. Bible studies galore. 
Guys, I've consumed more uh, church potluck casseroles than any human ever should. Okay, I also graduated from a Christian high school, so with that, there's all of the, the, the Bible classes you take, there's the chapels you're uh, required to attend, and I, just, I say all that just because I want to I make this point, and hear me on this, time spent in a church building or at a Christian school does not equal Christian growth or even maturity, because, you see, even with all of that, all of my upbringing, all of the stuff that I had influencing me, I still wasn't convinced that God even liked me. <laughs> I wasn't convinced that God even liked me. Sure, I mean, he had to keep up his end of the deal because, you know, he had to let me into heaven because he had one day naively uh, accepted my prayer for salvation. And he, you know, at the time, he, did, he thought it was a good idea. And now he, and now he has to let me into heaven uh, because he has to keep up his end of the deal. But he regrets that. You know, that was like, you know, a sense of, of what I thought when I thought of God. It was like he made a bad choice. And I want to just ask right there, like, if you think to yourself, what is the look, if you think about God right now, what is the look on his face towards you? Because the look that I grew up thinking God's face, like, I felt like his eyes were constantly just rolling at me, and he was thinking, how many chances do I have to give this guy? How many chances? And so maybe some of you can relate to that. You see, my, my view of God was largely shaped by religion. You know, even with all the church upbringing I had, I had heard all of the stories, but I had missed the story. I had missed the gospel. The word gospel, it means good news. And if I'm being honest with you, like, <laughs> uh, it wasn't good news to me. I was actually pretty miserable. I knew I was supposed to go out and share this thing called the gospel with people, and it was good news. But why would I want to invite somebody to come and be as miserable as me? didn't seem like a loving thing to do. <laughs> no, but the, 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 the version of Christianity I grew up with, it was just, it was all demand and no supply. All demand, no supply. And I know as I'm saying this, you guys are thinking like, oh, my parents are right here and I'm saying these things. <laughs> no, th what's so beautiful is that God has done such an amazing thing in their life and my life at the same time, kind of independently, and that we can be here today, I can share these stories, and we're both rejoicing in Jesus. And uh, they, to my parents' credit, they were passing on to me what they had inherited, a version of Christianity that was kind of missing Jesus. But they were doing the best that they can. I'm so thankful to have them here today. It's such a beautiful thing. No, but as I reflect back, I would, see my, I would say my, my version of Christianity was more uh, interested in how I act, not who I am. It was more about my activity versus my identity. I'd say more specifically, it was about my activity defining my identity. And so you can imagine, if that's like what my belief is, then I'm getting pretty good at bluffing. I'm getting really, really good at pretending. You see, I could actually convince a lot of people that I was doing pretty good because it was all about the external world. I hear it's all about doing the right things. And I knew how to do the right things in order to make people happy with me. And so, but you, you kind of start to feel this tension of like, I know, like, here's what I'm supposed to be doing, but inside, I know the sin, I know the struggles, I know the shame, and all of that stuff, it just perpetuated hiding. And so, friends, I live a large chunk of my life just bluffing and hiding. And in the meantime, 
the shame, the insecurities, the sins, the struggles, all of that is just is growing inside. And so I, I knew, if you asked me, like, Matt, are you a Christian? I'd be like, yeah, totally, I'm a Christian. But just on the inside, it just felt dirty and distant. That kind of no matter what I did. And so there's, like, that question, like, what is wrong with me? What is it that I need to do to get rid of this feeling? I mean, there's got to be more to the abundant life that Jesus promised than faking the abundant life. Right? Well, by God's grace and over time, the Holy Spirit has wooed me out of hiding. And I, wouldn't, I, I, I wish I could say it was like one pivotal moment, like this happened and everything changed. But you guys, it's just been truth over time. Yeah. It's been a constellation of different uh, people and relationships and truths. And the Holy Spirit has brought convergence to that. And he's wooed me, wooed me out of the, the shame and out of the hiding and today, what I want to do in our time here is I just want to share a few of the truths that, that, that he has used to do that, to woo me out of, of the lies and the bondage and to step into the freedom that is mine. And so we're going to do that. Uh, let me start with a, this, a story that I came across not too long ago. A guy named Ira Yates owned a dry goods store in West Texas in 1915, which he traded to a friend for a large cattle ranch in a nearby county. Despite Ira's experience raising cattle, his ranch struggled financially. But one day, on a hunch, he invited the Transcontinental Oil Company to explore his land for oil, and the drillers hit the richest oil deposit found in the state of Texas up to that time. Ira Yates's his financial troubles, troubles were solved in a single day, and the Yates oil field is still producing oil decades later. The next day, the local newspaper headlines proclaimed the news. Yates becomes millionaire overnight. So that, let me ask a question. That's a true story, but is that a true headline? I'd say the answer is no. It's, it's a true story, but it's not a true headline. You see, that dude, he became a millionaire the day that he took over that cattle ranch. He just didn't know it. He just didn't know it. You see... That story to me illustrates the, really the place, I mean, for so many Christians today, or people who are not yet Christians, but their understanding of what the what Christianity and the gospel is. It, it, we have no idea what is actually ours. We don't know what is ours and who we are. And if, if we don't know what is ours and who we are, we will live our lives spiritually broke and spiritually bankrupt. And we will live our lives trying to find and search for and seek out what is already ours, right below our feet. And so in the remainder of our time, I, what I want to do today is just is drill down a little bit. I want to drill down and... Uh, and the idea is to, to, to unearth and to excavate and discover the truth that will set us free. And so whether your story is like similar to mine or it's way, 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 way different. In this room, there's lots of stories here. Wherever your story is, my prayer is that by the Spirit, that the truths that we go through today will set you free and woo you into the freedom and the life that is yours in Christ. So what I want to do is I want to look at three things. And really the, the gospel oil, using that metaphor, the gospel oil can really be summarized in three easy to rem remember words. For, to, through. For, to, through. You see, at salvation, God does something for us 
and he does something to us so that he might do something through us. Let's jump into this first one for, there's a lot that we could talk about when we talk about what God does for us at salvation, but the one I want to hone in on today is this topic of forgiveness. This topic of forgiveness. It's a big deal. We talk a lot about forgiveness in the world. Forgiveness is huge, and really, we know if, if we're honest with ourselves, we know we need forgiveness. We come into this world, like we, we, we accrue a lot of guilt and, and sin, and we've got this, this bad record, and we, we understand the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of forgiveness. And let me ask this question, if, you know, for you, Christian, are you convinced? Are you convinced of your forgiveness? Let's look at what the New Testament has to say here, just a kind of a survey of some of these verses. In Colossians 2, 13, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Let's go to the next one, Colossians 3, 13. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, just as in Christ God forgave you. And finally, 1 John 2.12, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Each of those verses we could spend a lot of time on. I, what I want to do is just point out this fact that uh, the forgiveness that these verses are speaking about is all past tense. You have been forgiven. And I want to ask again, are you, convinced of, are you convinced of your forgiveness? Because it's interesting how we'll make a big deal about forgiveness. Like, oh, God forgives me. And then we will wonder, does God forgive me? And if you listen to the way that we talk and we interact as, you know, as, as believers, it's like, Forgiveness kind of feels like this elusive thing at times. Yes, it's he forgives me and I'm saved, but then we get into this thing called the Christian life and we wonder if God forgives me. We need to know that we're forgiven, and I believe that we can. Let me just illustrate it this way. Imagine you go into a restaurant and you're, you're, you're really, really, really hungry. You go into this restaurant and you just you order everything you possibly can and you just, the, the, like everything, nothing's off the table, and then the check comes. And you realize that that moment of dread, like, I don't have my wallet. And you're alone, so you can't, you know, hey, like, Venmo your friend, or someone else takes care of it. You know, do that thing where you sneak in. Oh, dude, I forgot my wallet in the car. Oh. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that. You're alone. But you have an idea. You say, you know what? It's cool. I don't need a wallet. Give me this napkin. I got this pen. And you write an apology note. Okay? And your apology note says something to the effect of, hey, I'm so I'm so sorry. I feel really, really bad. Um, I don't have my wallet. I can't actually pay this bill. But thank you so much for understanding. Okay, bye. Whew, I'm so glad we got that over with. Would that fly? <laughs> I mean, no. You might be completely sincere. You might even be super heartfelt. But at the end of the day, the restaurant doesn't want your apology. They want your money. And why is that? It's because we live in a money-driven economy, not an apology-driven economy. The tab or the debt that we run up, it's not resolved with an apology or a confession, but cash or credit, right? Well, let me ask the question, what kind of economy does God have? 
What kind of economy does he deal, deal with? I mean, it's important that we know, I mean, how does our debt get paid for? How does all of the rebellion and the disobedience and the insurmountable tab of sin that we've accumulated, how does that all get taken care of? In other words, how are we forgiven? Well, in the same way that the restaurant deals with a money-based economy and our debt is paid through monetary means, well, God, did you notice, God has instituted a blood-based economy. Blood is the only way that God has ever dealt with sin. Blood's the only way that God has ever dealt with sin. You see, we don't deal with our sin through remorseful, regretful feelings. As, I mean, those are good things to have. It's, it's, you know, I think it's good to feel remorse and regret over uh, our sin. They're just not the currency that God accepts. It's not how sin gets paid for. This is huge. In, in Hebrews, the writer says this in Hebrews 9.22, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So you can, conf- you can apologize and be sincere. You can have as much of the, oh, I'm so, so, so sorry. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You know, our sin's not paid for through confession and apology or saying the, uh, the right words, even if you're super, super sincere. I, you know, our sin isn't forgiven by feeling really, really, really bad about what we did. Now, the Bible's clear. The wages of sin is death, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Kind of puts us in a pickle there. Well, thankfully, there was blood that was shed, and thankfully, it was not ours. It was the blood of Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, and Jesus died once. This may sound like a very simple point, but this is actually, to me, super, for me, profound Jesus died once. You see, forgiveness in the Old Testament, if you're reading about the sacrificial system, it was, it was day after day. It was year after year. It was ongoing, little by little, dose by dose forgiveness. But the forgiveness that Jesus offers is once for all. Once for all. Check this out in Hebrews 10. He says this, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So just think about this. Jesus is not up in heaven dying on a cross over and over and over and over again. And since he, and hallelujah indeed, and since he's not up there in heaven dying over and over and over again, we're not down here on earth pleading and begging to be forgiven more and more and more. You see, the wages of sin is death. Jesus died. It is finished. So this, hear this, okay? If you are in Christ, you are as forgiven right now, here, in this really warm room, (laughs) as you ever will be. You are as forgiven right now as you ever will be. You're as forgiven right now as you will be in heaven. Well, I don't feel forgiven. Well, I'm so thankful that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a fact. Some of us are sitting around, we're waiting and waiting. This was me. This was me. I'm sitting around waiting and waiting to feel forgiven. 
No, no, instead we are invited to trust in the once and for all forgiveness that Jesus offers. We're invited to trust in the fact of our forgiveness. You know, we live by faith, not feel. Feelings come and go, but we live by faith. And our faith is in the fact that the blood of Jesus actually worked the first time. And what's cool is that now when we sin, because we do, we still, are, we still sin and struggle and stumble in many ways. Uh, just think of these, these three different words. Thank, turn, and trust. We're, we're, we, can, we can thank God for his once for all forgiveness. We don't have to wonder, God, are you, are you going to forgive me for this one? Am I, are we ever going to be back in good standing? No. You can thank God that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. You can turn, turn from your sin so that it doesn't reign in, our, in your life. And then we can trust God for wisdom to act in new ways. Thank, turn, and trust. But as far as the forgiveness goes, it really is finished. Amen? Amen. So that's forgiveness. That's, that's one of the things that God, that God and that Jesus has done for us. And many Christians, including myself for a long time, never go beyond that. We just live. It's like, oh, forgiveness. Okay, cool. And then we just get busy trying to live this thing called the Christian life. You know, I'm forgiven. Okay, now I'm going to try to live it. And then we still, we, we, we wonder, like, why do I still struggle? Why would I still have these, these thoughts and these attitudes and these feelings? And we wonder, what is wrong with me? And if we don't know anything beyond forgiveness, if forgiveness is all we know, then what's going to happen is we're going to turn, the Christian life is going to turn into us trying to live externally out here what we don't even believe to be true or don't even know to be true inside. That's... That's hypocrisy. I'm trying to do something out here that I don't even believe is true about me on the inside because God didn't just forgive us. He went beyond that. He did something to us. So he didn't just do something for us. He did something to us. And that what he did was that he made us new. He made us new at the core. You see, a new identity is really the gospel oil that many Christians aren't even aware of. A new identity. So that's, it's the other side of the gospel coin. Yes, I'm forgiven. Oh, can, can I just go do whatever I want? No. Well, what you want has been radically changed. You're a new creation, new identity, a new heart. What you want is to actually express Jesus. Go do whatever you want. Because what you want is to express Jesus. So a new identity, how did that even happen? Well, the good news is that all Jesus had to do to give you a new identity was kill you. That's all he had to do was, was just kill you. Uh, no, he had to kill the old you. And so many of us, think about this, many of us are trying to live this new life without recognizing, realizing our death. Friends, we have to know, to, to, to live a Christian life, we have to understand what happened, we, that we died. Because, uh, again, if all we're doing, if all we are is just forgiven, then we are nothing more. We're just the old self trying to clean ourselves up for God and keep him happy with us. Okay, we have to know that we, we're, we're new. You see, God, he's not interested in cleaning up the old you. He has no use for the old you. That's why he took the old you to the cross. He took your old self, your old life, out, and he gave you his life. He gave you his life. He, he gave his life for us so that he could give his life to us. Check this out in Galatians 2.20. There's a song that goes with this one, but I won't sing it this morning. Um, but I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
Come on. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, there has been a death. It was your old self. And so, Christian, do you know, if you are in Christ, do you know that you, that you died? It's, in, it's interesting how we are very, very, very okay saying, Jesus died, he died for my sin, and that's 100% true and so glorious. But do you also know that you died with him? I need to show you that from Scripture, though. Romans 6, verse 5 says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our, bo- that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for the one who has died is freed from sin. And guess what? You died. In other words, what happened to Jesus, I love this. You can read Romans 6 and just think, what happened to Jesus happened to me. And it really does, it does require the the Holy Spirit to convince us of this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, maybe it's one you've heard before. Um, Sorry, get these backwards on the PowerPoint. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And I would ask, what is the new creation? What is the nature of the new creation that we've been given? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, says this, He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So think about this. Do you know that the new you is righteous? The new you is righteous. Righteous in every way that Jesus became sin, which we don't doubt that, right? He became sin. In every way that he became sin, you became righteous. And so this might sound heretical in a lot of churches, but um, do you know that you're righteous? Are you convinced of that? Well, how about this? Do you know that you you are as righteous as Jesus? Because it's only the righteousness of Jesus that you possess. So it's his righteousness or none at all. And so if you have his righteousness, you are as righteous as Jesus, the new and true you, the new identity at the core of your being is as righteous as Jesus. And we have, friends, we have to know that. We have to know that we died in order to know that that life and that righteousness has been given to us. Because you and I, we will always, we will always live out whatever we believe to be true about ourselves. If we believe that we're just a failure and we just can't get things straight. We just, we're constantly, we're just sinners and strugglers, and I just can't, I'm just failing all the time, or I'm an addict, or I, you know, I'm a, a liar and a cheater. That, that's just the, the loudest voice. You know, you, you're going to go and just do those things because that's who you are. But I think the gospel says that's not who you are. You are not what you do. You are what Jesus has done for you. And let's, let's learn about that, and let's live from that place. So my, my question is, are you convinced of what God has done for you. Secondly, are you convinced of what he has done to you? And finally, I want to talk about through. For, to, through. You think about what was the point of all that? What's the point of, of him doing all that stuff? Is it just to, just to reserve a ticket for me to go to heaven and one day in the sweet by and by I'm there? It's, I mean, that's, that's beautiful. We've, we, heaven is, is a glorious thing that we can anticipate but is that it? 
Friends, he did all that. He gave his life for you so that he could give his life to you so that he would live his life through you. For, to, through. You see, this is God's plan. It's always been his plan to express himself through his creation. His, it's his plan to express himself through you. And like when you drill down and you discover the, the gospel oil of your once-for-all forgiveness and your new creation, righteous identity, oh, man, like it... it it sets you free to give and to receive love. And this is what I get really excited about because a lot of times we talk about theology, we talk about grace, the gospel, and it's all just like sweet theoretical up here. But I love that the gospel actually changes the way that we can relate with one another. The way that we can interact with one another and the way that Jesus can express himself through us horizontally with one another. Uh, you guys, this is what God is up to. This is what he's up to. He's inviting you and I to trust in what he has done for us and to us so that he can express his life through us. And I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of messages about uh, learning to love better. And I, that's a fantastic message. Or how to, how to love people more. And again, a great message, important message. I don't think I've heard many messages and sermons, books, podcasts about how to receive love, how to receive love. You know, for many of us, it might be easier. I'm just not saying it's easy, but it might be easier for us to get in that mode where I'm just going to love. I'm going to love people, and I'm just going to try to love people better. And for many of us, that, that's, you know, again, I don't want to, we're not trying to thwart that at all, but it's, sometimes it is for, for people easier to, to do that than it is to receive love. Because receiving love makes you, it feels kind of vulnerable, Right? It's hard because you want to be, who, who in this room wants to be seen as needy? You know, I heard, actually, Tom, I'm going to call you out. Tom taught me, Tom and Lori taught me that love is the process of meeting needs. If you want a good, succinct definition of love, love is the process of meeting needs. Well, here's the question. How are we actually going to receive love if we don't ever allow ourselves to be needy? You can't. That's the answer to that question. You can't receive love if you don't. If people aren't, if 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 all if you if hiding your limitations, bluffing and pretending to be strong and all together. I mean, all that that may get you admiration from people, but it will never get you love because they can't love you. They can. Lo- if you're wearing a mask, your your mask receives love, but you don't. And so, I mean, that's. That, and that, that is, that's miserable because you were designed to receive the love of others. And it's Jesus loving you through other people. And the way that we open ourselves up to that possibility is, is to allow our needs to come out, to not hide behind our, uh, you know, to pretend or pretend that we don't have any limitations. It, again, f- friends, like understanding who you are in Christ, understanding your forgiveness, it's a settled manner. You have, you've got a new identity. You can, you can now open your life up to receive the love and the help from other people. And I think it's a, a beautiful thing. And it's what, again, going back to what I started out with what generation does, is that that's the kind of environment that grace produces. It produces an environment where nothing needs to be hidden. Nothing needs to be hidden. And it, it produces an environment where it's okay to not be okay. It produces an environment where it's safe to be a work in progress. None of us have arrived, and let's just start. It's okay to admit that. 
You know, and we get to provide this for each other. We get to provide that environment where people can breathe and they can relax. You know, for me, I've just needed, I've needed the safe place to admit the struggle of parenting. Because, guys, I was the best parent ever until God gave us a three-year-old. <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I don't know, I'm lost now. I, it's, it's, and honestly, and then, I, yeah, Bill and Melinda, you guys came over the other night, and when you came, I'm like, oh, great, they're going to see how bad parents we are. I, I felt like kind of exposed, you know, a little bit, knowing like that, that's not their heart. That's like, but it was this breath of fresh air when you guys came over, and you were just able to be like, dude, we've been there. We get it. And it, was, it just allowed, for me, it was what I needed. It allowed me to breathe and relax and to, to really receive the love of another person. I mean, just this past week, I had a conversation with a friend, and he, we got together, and he said something to the effect of, he's like, man, okay, I, I think I've been realizing something about myself. And it's a little embarrassing, but I, I, I feel like I need to tell somebody. And he went on to talk about things that had been triggering him, and, and it kind of feels like I shouldn't let these things trigger me, right? But he's like, these things are triggering me, and now I'm in a place that I don't feel healthy, and I don't know what to do, but I feel like I need to talk about it. And that's just a, a small little, little everyday example. When he said that, I just had this sense of, oh, my goodness, like, I get to love you right now. You know, not fix him, but I get to, I get to provide an environment where he can, he can share that. Oh, my goodness. I get to love you, and I get to meet a need, and then he gets to actually experience safety and love. Like, what an amazing thing. And again, that's just a really, really small everyday example of what we get to provide for each other. Environments where we can learn to receive love. And friends, in, in, in God's eyes, receiving love always comes before giving love. Receiving love always comes before giving love. Because think about the gospel is that he loved us first. We love because he first loved us, First John 4. And so maybe you've heard in church, maybe you've grown up with this view of the Christian life where it's all about what you do and what, how you perform and how much you love, and it's all about you and your activity and your performance. I just want to say, you're, it's, you're safe here, and you can breathe and relax. It's about Jesus. And you, my friend, are right on time where you're at, and we get to walk this thing, do this thing called life together, and we get to learn how God's grace actually changes things. And we want, we want people to, we want each other to be able to experience that environment of grace and safety. So generation, may we continue to drill down and discover the gospel oil that is ours in Christ. And may we have the, the, the courage and the, the humility to accept God's opinion of us. To accept what he's done for us, that his forgiveness was, was perfect. That he's made us righteous. He's made us holy, children of God and may we trust Jesus to live his life in us and through us with one another. God, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, I, I am so excited about the journey that you have generation on. Lord, thank you for this room and the, the group of people, the mixed uh, family that is here. Lord, the, this blended family of beloved saints, God, who have have played such a role in both Paige and I's life and that just the, the way that you love us through your people and your church, God, that's, that's your, your plan for us. 
So I thank you for that. God, maybe this morning there's someone in this room who's, who, who's where I was for so long, maybe never even understanding the forgiveness that you offer. God, may you, by your spirit, God, open their heart to receive that. It's not about achieving, it's about receiving. May they open their heart to receive that, Lord. And if that's them, they just simply, if that's you, God, just pray, asking him, just, Lord, come, come into my life. I receive your gift of salvation, your once for all forgiveness. Come into my life and be my life. And thank you that you don't just stop there, that you also are going to make me a new creation. Lord, if anyone is there today, God, would they just, I pray by your spirit, Lord, you would woo them to you. Woo them, God. And for all of us here who have been walking with you for, for months or years, God, I just thank you for your faithfulness on the journey. That You are always faithful to finish what you start. So, Lord, we commit this church and this family. God, we commit to you. And we're so excited about what you're going to do in the days, months, weeks, years to come. We love you in your name. Amen. Thank you.